Okay. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us here at Dominion Church. If you're watching on Facebook, do us a favor, like and share this so others can be blessed as a result. Maybe you're watching on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC. Turn on notifications again so you can see when the videos are being posted. And then finally, uh, maybe you're listening on our podcast experience. The point is we're so glad that you're joining us. And I would encourage you, come and be a part of one of our corporate gatherings. We meet here at the Maravan Center in Greenville, South Carolina at 1.30 p.m. on Sundays. Right now, the first Sunday, we meet around 2, but every other Sunday, 1.30. And so please come and join us. Be a part of what we're doing here at Dominion. Okay, we're in a brand new year, 2024. And we're starting a brand new series for the month of January called The Ancient New the ancient new, and you can see that graphic up there. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to be leaning into and heading into for the month of January. So, all right, Gabriel, you back there? Can, can you see me on the screens there? I think, I think if you see me on the screen. So my, my second son, thank you, Gabriel, he's learning the ropes of the streaming stuff, and so we're good to go, man. I appreciate you. Okay, so in this series, um, I... I I hope at the very least it does sound cool, like a cool series title. Um, but, but it's actually intentional because a lot of times when we use the word new, right, and that's a word that everybody uses all the time, and it's a word that churches use all the time, and I'm not knocking any of that. And now we're in a new year, so it seems very appropriate. What is, what's the new thing that God is saying and doing? I don't want to discourage you. I don't want to make you upset, but God doesn't do anything new, not, not the way that we think, Okay. Because God is always new, but he's also always timeless. So I I use the word ancient because we can wrap our mind around that reference a little bit. So God doesn't actually do anything new. And what informs our belief system on that, we don't actually get this revelation until Jesus shows up. And then we're told after we observe the life and ministry of Jesus, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So while God is ancient, and even ancient is not, is not good enough, he's timeless, so he's eternal without reference for time. So he's as old as can be, yet as new as can be, always at the same time. We see references like this when it comes to the kingdom of God. It says the kingdom of God is made up of things both old and new, meaning there are things in your past that you should have carried with you into your now. Now, there are certainly things in your past, you, you, you better leave them dead and buried back there, right? But because the work of God is timeless and eternal, you have to always carry his workings with you, always. And again, we have lots of metaphor, lots of pictures for this throughout Scripture. You know, one that comes to mind is Joseph. Joseph was, in his day, an amazing son of God that led the world out of poverty in a time of tremendous chaos to where he actually controlled, at that time, the center of civilization, which was Egypt, right? But when, right when he was basically on his deathbed, he said, listen, when my people, when Israel, when they are free and come out of here, don't leave me here. Take me with you. Take my bones with you. I love that. I love that thought. And so, again, we have to make sure, you know, my grandparents used to say it this way, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's more of a cultural reference than anything, but you know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing. 
I saw a post even earlier today that I thought was so good. It says that don't allow bad theology to inform all of your theology. So you cannot say just because it was in the past means it has no value. If it's part of the timeless work of God, it's as valuable now as it ever was. But a lot of us make the mistake of cutting off something simply because it was part of yesterday. And we're always ready for what's now. But God is always the ancient new. Always. So that's what we're going to lean into. So in this first part, and really what this series is going to do, I'm going to remind you of some things. I kind of, I'm kind of reminded of Peter and being established in present truth. I'm going to remind you of some things, though you already know them, and I'm going to challenge you to be established in these truths. Reminders of things, old things that need to remain new. This first part is going to be called How He Loves Us. How He Loves Us. In our Vision Sunday last week, one of the things, the way we started what I was sensing from the Lord for this year, the challenge was grow as deeply as you're willing and then also expect to grow outward. And so I really, I don't know about you guys, but I pondered that phrase and I meditated on that phrase. God, if we're going to go deep, then where? Where? You know? Again, you're going to have to just bear with me. My mind's all over the place. Uh, one of my favorite movies, and it's pretty cheesy. I mean, you know, one of my favorite movies growing up, it was Armageddon, okay? And not because it's into the world, but, man, you've got these heroes. And I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it for you. Spoiler alert, it was out 25 years ago. So if you hadn't seen it by now, don't blame me for ruining the plot, okay? But, I mean, it's the most outrageous plot imaginable. Giant, earth-killing asteroids coming towards Earth. And, hey, we've got an idea. Let's get a drill team, an oil-drilling team to get up there. Most ridiculous premise you can imagine. <laughs> but they get up there and, you know, they start drilling their holes trying to save the world. But one of the things that, that, that really stood out to me, and, and uh, it's very emotional if you allow yourself to just submit to the absurdity of it, is there's this point where one of the main characters, Bruce Willis, he decides, I'm going to stay behind, and I'm not going to let people know I'm going to stay behind because if he tells them, they won't let him do it. And then there's this one point where everyone's now off the asteroid. Bruce Willis is left. You know it's a death sentence, but he still hasn't pressed the button yet to make the explosive device go off. And, and, and one of the other main characters, Ben Affleck, he says, uh, they said, we got to turn back. He said, no, don't do it. Harry, Harry will do it. I know he won't. And he said, because he, he doesn't know how to fail. He doesn't know how to fail. So when I was preparing for this message, how he loves us, that image popped into my mind. When it comes to the love of God, don't turn back. He doesn't know how to fail. He doesn't know how to fail. So I want to start this here. I, I've actually ministered this in a message some years ago, but I want to remind you of this. A beautiful portion of this hymn called The Love of God is Greater Far. The Love of God is Greater Far. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry 
nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Isn't that beautiful? I know in this day and age, the hymns are, you know, they're fading away. I get it. But man, there's some great theology and some great word in those hymns. So they're worth going back to and looking at. So again, the name of this first part of this series, The Ancient New, How He Loves Us. And so now I'm going to give you the, the, the plot twist here, if you haven't already guessed it, we're going to be talking about the measureless love of God. That's what we're going to be going into. So I hope you're ready. Um, I rarely even do my notes this way, but Dan, I've got five points. So if you're taking points, and I've got verses, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to go. We're going to dig in a little bit, but, but this is for our good. This is going to awaken unto us, I believe, in a fresh newness, some ancient truths. So the first point is God's love is greater. God's love is greater. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So again, Vision Sunday, God said, go as deep as you're willing and expect to grow out. So when I was meditating on that, this is where I went. Okay, there is, there's a verse that talks about something deep. What is it? It's the depth of the love of God. The depth of the love of God. So now I want to go back and I want to do some commenting on these verses. These are loaded. We could do this entire message on this first point because it's so beautiful. So now I want to go back because we read first as our case and then we go back and we look at the depth of it. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. In this day and age, we're all looking for power, right? Now, unfortunately, as power as we define it, in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as power that rules over your brother. It's power that lifts up your brother, not power that rules over your brother. So we've got to make sure we have that properly defined. And then look at this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. If I could prophesy to the church right now, I'd say God wants to remind the church that the church is at its most effective when it's rooted and established in love. But we have traded our, 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 our foundation of love for foundations of judgmentalism, for foundations of sectarianism and, and division. Everything except what reflects the love of God. And then now I love this. So it says when you're established in love that you may have power. See, that's, that's I love that. I love that thought. That behind love is where power is discovered. You want power in the kingdom? You got to get behind love first. What does that mean? Love has to take root. Love has to grow in your life. You want to have true power in the kingdom, you're only going to discover it behind love. 
Love is the door. Love is the keyhole. However you want to put it, whatever metaphor you need to use. But see, many in the way of just human preference, I want to use my power to make you love me. But these verses say, you want power? you got to learn how to love. Hmm. So then look at that. Rooted and established in love that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp. To grasp what? Just how amazing this kind of love is. Well, how great is it? Well, it's wider than you think, longer than you think, higher than you think, and deeper than you think. This love of Christ, it's hard to measure. But you know what? You're going to have fun trying to figure it out. Because guess what? This love cannot be measured by knowledge. That's what it says, verse verse 19, that I know this love that surpasses knowledge. You ever been loved and you don't know why? Can't figure it out? You know, you're a jerk. Somebody loves you anyway. Right? There are times, I mean, I don't know how my kids feel about it, but man, I'm wondering, does dad even love me? Not because I said I didn't, but because they do something nuts or do something that's aggravating. It's funny how we'll disqualify ourselves long before the authority of love will actually confirm it. They, we, we, we'll make this stuff up as we go. But God's love is not connected to our knowledge. And I think that's part of what drives us crazy. That's part of why the message and the revelation of love remains ever fresh. Because it's not based on understanding or knowledge. And then it says, okay, so now that you had this revelation, all of a sudden you're filled now to the measure of the fullness of God. Love can never become an old message. When I mean old, I mean it can't be like, oh, they preach love a lot, and now can't we just move on to something else? Well, what would you move on to? I'm curious. I mean, what in your mind, what's a better message than unconditional love that transforms and conquers and remains and I mean is it end times I can't stand any of that I can't stand it at all turn on the radio and if it's end times nonsense I'm like turn I'd rather listen to heavy metal rock music by unsaved people than listen to eschatology that's not victorious right because the the metal is more encouraging (laughs) are you okay right now I don't know how you guys are. I'll turn on the car, and if the Christian music, I'm like, I'm not listening to that nonsense, you know? Okay. Point number two. So point number one, God's love is greater. Point number two, the love of God lives where we live. What do you mean by that? Well, let's go there. Psalm 139, we'll start at verse 8, and then we're going to look at verse 11 and 12. David had this complicated relationship with love. And it checks out because if there's anything that could summarize the life of David, I would say in a word, it'd be passion. He did everything passionately. Even when he messed up, he messed up passionately. There's no half-heartedness in him. And his psalms oftentimes reflect this tension. So here we go. Now, can you imagine David singing this to the Lord? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, which it's an okay translation. The Hebrew is Sheol, which means the grave. 
And if you have a modern translation, it likely says hell. David said, listen, if I make my bed in the grave, Sheol, hell, you are still there with me. The love of God lives where we live. And then verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. I love this. Verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So listen, if you want to make your bed in hell, we've been taught this terrible, terrible theology that there's something called separation from God. And it is one of the great lies in Christianity. It it doesn't exist. You cannot be separate from God. And then, you know, those that had that train of thought will say, well, you know, if you decide to go to hell, well, then that's where, that is what separation from God is like. No, uh, David said, I can make my bed there and you're still there with me because there's something interesting. When God shows up, even hell itself isn't hell. Hell turns into light because in him there's no shadow, there's no darkness of turning. And because he's the God who never leaves us or forsakes us, if you want to take a vacation to hell, you can't leave God out of your plans. He's still going to journey with you. And guess what? You bring him into hell and all of a sudden darkness isn't dark because to him even darkness is light. Doesn't matter. I'm here. It's all good. Now, that, I believe, is more of an individual picture. Um, You ever felt like you've been through hell? I mean, seriously? I'll raise my hand. And I'm not trying to downplay, you know, experience, but I think all of us have had some personal hell going on. Some worse than others. Some longer than others. I think there's keys that can help us get out of hell quickly. Y'all heard me teach on this. One of the fastest ways to get out of hell is to sing, right? The hallelujah song. Jesus sang at the edge of hell, Gehenna. David sang while he was in what he called the grave surrounded by his enemies. Jonah sang while he was in the depths of the great fish and it spewed him out. The quickest way to get out of hell is to sing. But it's also the hardest place to sing. Because when you're surrounded by darkness... You're overcome by despair. It's hard to find the song. But if you can find the song, and I'll even help you out here. This this will help somebody. The words are the same. God be praised. Now, you can, you can make up more as you go, but make sure that's part of the lyric because that's, the, that's what hallelujah means. God be praised. So even if I'm in hell, God be praised. The hallelujah song of Jesus. So that's very individual. But then there's also this corporate experience that the love of God lives where we live. Not just where you live. His love lives where we live. And to do that, and we'll put on our little theological thinking caps just for a minute. 1 Peter 4 are the verses where we get what's called the harrowing of hell. The harrowing. You should go study that out. The harrowing of hell. Or... The defeat of Sheol or the defeat of the grave. Peter is who writes about it. And that's where he says that Jesus descended into the grave and preached the gospel and led captivity captive. 
So basically, he emptied out hell, put a close for business sign over death, hell, and the grave. So that's the harrowing of hell. That is challenging that God's love goes where we all live, not just where Rachel lives, but where humanity would live. God's love chases humanity down. And so I put here in my notes, he loves you where you are. He loves us where we are. I think that's also why love is such an imperative to our assignment as the family of God. It's easy to love the lovable, but can you love someone who's in hell? Can you love someone going through hell? I mean, genuinely. Jesus knew how to do it, and he invites us to the same pattern. Is this okay? Okay. Number three, the love of God lays itself down. The love of God lays itself down. So, if you're t- again, you're taking notes. Point number one, his love is greater. Greater than what? Pick it. P- pick whatever. It's greater than. Number two, the love of God lives where you live and where we live. God will chase you straight into hell itself. His love still remains. Number three, the love of God lays itself down. John 15, verses 9 through 13. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Stop right there. Uh, Have you ever questioned how much the Father loves the Son? How much do you think it is? Lots? Measureless? Anybody? Okay. Jesus says, I loved you the same way. I don't withhold any of my love. You have it all. Then it says, now remain in my love. Okay. So here it is. Boom. Nuclear bomb of God's love. Now remain in it. And then number 10, verse 10, this is where we get some weird theology going. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And so the way our minds work is we immediately switch gears from identity as sons and daughters to receiving identity from what we do and how we obey and what rules we keep. Because after all, that's what these verses say. If you keep my commands, this is how I've heard it, well, then God loves you. If you don't, well, then he, he can't, and then we throw in because you're a sinner. God can't be in the presence of sin. You guys have heard it all. <clears throat> but that's not actually what these verses are communicating. You can study this in the Greek. When it says, though you will remain in my love if you keep my commands, it actually, the, the, the thought is, goes like this. If you keep my commands, you will remain aware of my love. So me keeping his commands doesn't make him love me. In the same way, I don't love my kids because they keep my commands. If that were true, Megan and I would have not loved them several times just yesterday. Because they hate chore day. Every Saturday, it's like for them, a fresh war has begun. Dad, I can't believe this. They act like it's surprise. It's the greatest surprise they ever encounter is every Saturday they do chores. Dad, I can't believe it. It's Saturday. Oh, no. <clears throat> and so time and time again, do this. Do your chores. Vacuum the living room. Please do this. Go clean the mirrors. Do If my love for them was based on how they keep my commands, then yeah, that's the kind of God a lot of us have served in the past. 
it's kind of like holding up the, the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. These verses are saying, no, when we keep his commands, our awareness of love stays turned on. It doesn't create his love, and it doesn't make us more loved or less loved. It means that when we break God's heart, our awareness of his love begins to become diminished. Not on his part, on our part. We become enemies in our own minds. Well, God, God's picking on me. Why? I always look for that verbiage. Why did God allow this? Why did God do this? A lot of times that comes from a heart that has a shallow conviction of the love of God. Let's continue. Verse 11, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Wait, how can Jesus say this is the fullness of joy if what he actually meant was, hey, if you don't keep his commands, God doesn't love you anymore? Because that's not what he was saying. So again, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Did you know that's the singular law of the better covenant is that? No other rules. Love as you have been loved by me. Now, there's a lot of things that fall under the love umbrella. You don't have to have a conversation about you shall not commit adultery. Why? Because if I'm loving others the same way God loves me, well, then I don't commit adultery. I don't have to be told not to do it. I don't have to be told I won't steal because if I'm loving others as God loves me. And so because of love, I don't want to take something from someone else that's not my property, and then it causes them to suffer loss. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The, the old covenant so complicated everything. I'm so thankful that Jesus set the record straight, not only through his word but through his deeds. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. The love of God lays itself down. Okay, well, who does God lay himself down for? His friends. What is bad theology? What's the question bad theology asks? Well, who are his friends? So he, does, he doesn't lay his life down if you're not his friend. Isn't that funny what religion focuses on? If you're not careful, you're asking who the friends are instead of growing deep in his love for all people. And could it be, I'm just going to throw this out there, you don't have to answer it, but could it be we're all his friends? We just don't know it. Or maybe, God forbid, that us as the friends of God start being friendly to people. That might help too. You ever noticed how uh, people really don't like it when you got the picket signs up saying you're going to burn in hell because of this? But man, they'll come running when you have arms open. No agenda. I just want to love you. Hmm. So the point I'm making, remaining in God's love is about awareness, not position. It's about awareness. In other words, when I mean not position, I mean you can't fall out of his love. It's not going to happen. You, technically, you can't even fall into it. It's always been there. He's the one that fell in love with you. Remember, we love him because he first loved us. So you, you may feel like you've fallen in and out of love, but it's always been there. It's about awareness, not position. So lay down your striving. Stop with your rule-keeping. 
or I like to say, stop with your self-salvation projects and allow his love to overtake you. Point number four, we've got two points left and we're done. Point number four, the love of God transforms. The love of God transforms. I remember, I mean, this, is, this has been years ago now, when I was contemplating the love of God. So this, this would probably would have been 20, 2014. That's where I had my personal grace encounter, if you will. I'll never forget it. The, the Spirit just spoke to me and said, I don't ask for people to change before I will love them. But my love has a habit of changing everything about a person. I love that. So God will, there is no disqualification for his love, none. Go ahead, try it out. I mean, use caution, but I'm just saying, do what you think would disqualify you, and he's still there loving you. There there, there is no disqualifier. And he doesn't decide to love you when you start heading in the right direction. Oh, hey, I think they're about to take a bath and get cleaned up, so I love you now. No, no, no. He, he loves us at our worst. He has to because that's how he gets all of us. If he only loved the best, it would rule out the worst. But he loves us at our worst, and that shows us that he loves everyone. There's no disqualifier, okay? So it's transformative. Not transformative to get it, transformative because you're aware of it, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, you, got, you have to get into 1 Corinthians 13 if you're talking about the love of God right? The love chapter, as it's called. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. And I was reading this, and for me, I never thought about it this way. You realize this is a picture of the transformative power of love. This right here. What do I mean by that? Okay, love is patient. So what does that mean? Love in your life transforms you from being impatient to being patient. Otherwise, why would it say it? If we're all patient people, don't raise your hand. If we're all patient people all the time, we wouldn't need to hear things like love is patient. But Paul knew by inspiration of the Spirit, these are some things we need to address. Love is kind. Why say it? Why say it? to people who are always kind. <laughs> you can tell who's been marked by love. I know a lot of times we want this heavy spiritual revelation of the transformative power of love. What if it's more simple than we think? Transformative power of love, you're not mean anymore to people. You know, I'm saying that as one who, and it's been some years now at this point, but I worked in the restaurant industry for some years, service and uh, actually was a server trainer and things like that. And the, the, the worst day of the week was to work with Sundays because the church crowd. 
most demanding, worst tippers. I'm just stating facts right now. Most demanding, worst tippers. And so right there, you can see where's that transformative power of love. I thought the church was about love and unconditional love and the God of love. Okay, stop telling me all that and just um, don't be demanding and give me a good tip. See, it's, it's more simple a lot of times than we think. I think that's part of why we get frustrated with love because it makes a demand on the simple components of our lives. Doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, doesn't dishonor others, isn't self-seeking, not looking for a platform, huh. isn't easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. How you doing? Keeps no record of wrongs. Well, they really did me wrong. Made fun of me, lied on me, stole from me. So, I'm not supposed to keep a record of wrongs? Well, if you're maturing in love, no. Doesn't mean what they did was right or fair. It doesn't mean that God endorses it. It means that the love you're maturing in is greater than your need to hold on to the offense of the past. Why does that matter? Because if God kept records of wrong, none of us would ever receive His love. And because my identity as a son and daughter of God is to look like Him, well, then I also act like Him. Are you okay? Is this, it's too simple, isn't it? I know. His love never fails. And then finally, point five, and we're, we're done. The love of God conquers all. The love of God conquers all. Now, I could have used the same verses there in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love never fails. There are a few translations there. I love one that says love endures, love remains. Those are interchangeable terms for conquering. They, it won't lose. So actually, the, the phrase love conquers all is not in the Bible. But His love is steadfast. His love remains. His love endures. Everything will pass away. His love is still there. So to me, that sounds like winning. It sounds like conquering. Now, again, maybe not through our lens that we oftentimes divert to, but, but th this is the love of God that conquers all. It conquers by the fact that it remains. It remains. So I want to encourage you, simplistically, how are you going to win how are you going to win at life? In the kingdom of God, the way to win is to make sure that love remains in your life. No matter what, love is going to remain. Love will be steadfast. I will lead with love no matter how hard it gets. Ugh. John 3.16, you ever heard this verse before? John 3.16. John 3.16, and, and, and we'll even throw in verse 17 there because a lot of us don't read that one. Actually, I, I think verse 17 is as important as verse 16. <laughs> For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
again, stop arguing over the world. Who's the world? Who's, who's in? Who's out? Why do we argue like that? I don't get it. Is it not enough that it says that his love is for all? Is it not enough to say he gave his best for all? Why do we choose these odd arguments over who's in and who's out, who doesn't get to receive his love, who doesn't earn his love? It's a, I mean, certainly there has to be something bad enough to where his love can't go there. Well, while I'm not curious to try to find it out, I don't think that it exists. I don't. You can curse God. He's going to love you. Run. Good luck. You can't run from him. How do, how do you get away from a God who's in you? Like, seriously, the air you breathe and the song you sing, how do you get away from him? Even the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal ran and he thought his running and his, his actions would disqualify him from sonship. And so when he comes to himself to go back to his father, he's amazed. It didn't disqualify his sonship because his dad was still looking for him to return. His activity, hear this, did not disqualify his standing in the family. Neither does yours. Now, that's not an invitation to do whatever you want, but it is an invitation for you to be aware that your identity doesn't come from what you do or don't do. One of the sessions we're going to get into in uh, this series, I, I don't want to give it all away because, uh, you know, you got to keep coming back for more here, but one of our sessions will be on letting go, letting go. We're going to talk about the ego a little bit. We're going to talk about how, how deeply ingrained it has become in our lives to, to gain identity from what we do and how the kingdom of God is the opposite of that system. But it requires some deep introspective uh, examination to be able to let go of stuff that we have allowed to prop us up for years We've done it in the name of God. We even said God demanded it, and none of it was true. Especially if you think it was earning love or status or anything like that from God. It simply doesn't work that way. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Remember, the kingdom of God at its absolute core is reflective of righteousness, peace, and joy. If it's not demonstrating and releasing those three things, you know it's not kingdom. It can be something else, but it is not the agenda of God. The agenda of God for your life and the people that you encounter on a daily basis is to see an increase of righteousness, peace, and joy. If it's not that, don't call it kingdom. I would even say maybe don't even call it God. Okay? Romans 14, 17, go study it out. You guys have heard these verses so many times. It's not funny. Okay, so, so that's what we're going to finish for today. Um, so next week for part two, we're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. I wanted to start with love because it's my favorite. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord, and we're going to get some wisdom on that. I'm, not, I'm just going to give you a little, little appetizer before we jump in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how has it been classically taught? That means if you're not afraid of God, you're an idiot, right? You've heard me teach on this. That word fear is not the same as afraid. God's not given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So if he hasn't given us fear, how would fear be the beginning of wisdom? 
Because that word fear means reverent awe, not to be afraid. Not like you go to a spooky house and a zombie's going to jump out and scare you. No, no, no. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The reverent awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, that goes in that direction, but man, this, I, I can't take the time to preach it right now. But have you ever stopped to think God says of you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? So not only do we extend reverent awe towards Him, He extends reverent awe towards us. When? While you are being fashioned in your mother's womb. So it could be said this way, and then we're done. From, for, for all of your life to this point, God has thought more of you than you have of Him. And then we try to paint Him out to be the bad guy? Nonsense. Nonsense. Okay. Lord, we just thank you for this, this time today. Lord, I thank you that these words right here, strategically planted at the start of 2024, your love is great. How he loves us. Lord, I'm so grateful for your love. I'm grateful even here, standing here today, talking about it, using language that doesn't measure up, using metaphors that are pitiful. But Lord, it's just a privilege to scratch at the surface. I feel like of all the things that we're going to have a privilege to, to, to freshly discover throughout eternity is just how powerful the love of God is. I, mean, I think we're in for consistent, nonstop revival and revolution when it comes to the love of God. It's always going to be fresh. It's always going to blow our minds. But while we're here in this moment of time, we call life, which Paul said in comparison to all the goodness and the greatness of God in this kingdom, it's just smoke. It's, it's, it's a vapor in the wind. But we, we hinge so much importance on this temporary existence that here in this temporary space we can ponder and contemplate and reflect the timeless love of God. That is such a wonderful privilege. And so, Lord, let us be overcome by your love. Let us be baptized in it afresh. Let us contemplate it. I want you guys to go back through those verses. Go back and watch this again. Being established in his love that we may begin to even approach the depth, the height, the width. It's so great. But out of that, that we can actually love one another. Such an honor and a privilege. Lord, I thank you for all these things now. Decree them by faith in and through the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, listen, God bless you. We love you, Facebook. Thanks for watching. Again, like and share YouTube on our podcast. It means the world to us. Come join us at one of our meetings uh, here corporately. We'd love to have you be a part of one of them. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next time.